we realized that a lot of people talked about animal hoarding, but it didn't seem to be a lot of research in Sweden, and there was almost none. Uh, so we wanted that, and we wanted to know how how common it is, what is it, and and what what are people doing about. Hi, my name is Chris. Um, my PhD research focuses on cat human relations and discourses surrounding free roaming cats. Hi, my name's Sarah Oxlahini, and I'm a PhD student with Exeter University. And I'm uh, looking at some shark-human relationships. Um, our other pod um, crew member was unable to be here today, so uh, she's not joining us. But who is joining us is Therese Lilliskold, and uh, she's an uh, anthrozoologist and an author living in Sweden. And uh, today, Therese is going to talk to us uh, about animal hoarding. So. Uh, welcome, uh, Therese, and maybe you could uh, tell us something about your research, which I believe you conducted in uh, last year in 2022. I did, yes. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. And uh, yes, I, I did. I do some independent research uh, with a colleague of mine, uh, Karin Holmberg, who is a, a, a PhD in, in sociology. And sometimes we uh, do independent research projects and one of these were about hornum animal hoarding so so yeah that's what i'm going to talk about today great so i cool. guess the first question is is how how do you f define hoarding in in the broader context so i'm thinking mm. of tv shows that they they air i think they're um uk or american based sort mm. of hoarders yeah. and it, it's usually objects but you're talking about um animals mm. Exactly, yeah. I think a lot of people know that you can hoard things uh, because it's just, it, it's well known and there's been some documentaries and you have seen people hoarding things and it could be anything from like collections, books to food and garbage really. And, um, but what is less known is that you can also hoard animals and this is really less known in most countries even though it's really prevalent <laughs> it's it's really common so um so what we found was that this this, uh, this seems to be really common why is there no research here in sweden about this issue and and we wanted to to know more about that so how did you go about doing your research then can you tell us a bit about that Yes, uh, we contacted uh, the county municipal boards here who are responsible for animal protection and there are 21 in Sweden and 16 of them answered to our survey and two of them answered that it couldn't really give us an answer so one of these re one of, of the reasons was that they were actually uh, in a situation where they felt threatened because of a animal hoarding situation. Uh, so there was a huge animal who like a, a, an animal uh, a situation where there was a, a sanctuary that turned into an animal hoarding situation and uh, it became really big in media and so they felt threatened so they couldn't participate but um, but we still got answers from 16 so so that's good um, and uh, and we we wanted to know how common this is because when we uh, when we educated about the link and things around the link, we realized that a lot of people talked about animal hoarding, but it didn't seem to be a lot of research in Sweden, and there was almost none. Uh, so we wanted that, and we wanted to know how how common it is, what is it, and and what what are people doing about. It? So, yeah. So, so how do people get identified as being hoarders in Sweden? I, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing there's a lot of people who are hoarders still who are invisible to society, are they? Yes, yeah. It's, it's quite recent in the DSM, the manual that psychiatrists use for, for diagnosis and, and like psychi psychiatric diagnosis. It's just in the recent one that animal hoarding is a part of it. 
but it is a diagnosis today that uh, you could be an animal hoarding and it's part of the hoarding, uh, like uh, obsessive hoarding uh, diagnosis. Uh, so you can hoard things, but you can also hoard animals. And that's a diagnosis today. Uh, and a lot of people would ask me, like, how many animals can you have to be an animal hoarder? But it's not about the, the, the amount of animals. You can have a lot of animals and you can be a, just an animal owner and take care of the animals and it can be fine. But uh, if you have animals that you can't really take care of and you still want more, then that's when you reach the limit of of the diagnosis. So so you just have this compulsive. You you just need more animals, even though you can't take care of the ones you have. And it's not about the amount of animals, uh, but you want more. And and the wanting more can be buying more. It can be taking in homeless animals, but it can also be just having animals who are not castrated and getting more animals even though you can't take care of the ones you have so if you have cats or rabbits for example uh it'll quickly like escalate <laughs> and you have a lot of animals and and that's like when you are an animal hoarder that that you still get more so i believe part of the diagnosis as well is the um is that the animals end up being neglected and they suffer Yes, yes said, that's part of it, yeah. has a lot of animals, but they're not neglected. They have all, all their welfare needs are, and their psych, mm. um, psychological needs are fulfilled. But it's mm. when there's this neglect of the animal that that the hoarding aspect or the hoarding name comes into yes. it. And exactly. It's, it's a combination of not being able to care for the ones you have and still getting more. Even if you can't care for the ones you have, you still get more that's when it reached the limit of, of animal hoarding so and for, from what i've been reading about uh hoarding the animal neglect can be mirrored in self-neglect so i'm wondering if that's a way that the animal hoarding comes to light is because somebody identifies that the person um mm. hoarding is actually um mm. in some kind of uh, um, difficulty which is noticed by a member of society then that's reported and then mm -hmm. they find the the animals is that how it works it's yeah it's a huge issue because we identify that from from research from other countries we can see different groups of animal hoarders and when we asked animal inspectors here we could quickly like identify that they see the same kind of groups and there are three groups in general uh, and uh, two of them especially sometimes have or a lot of times have other difficulties uh, so it'll be people like one of them is called a savior and they really believe that they are saving the animals like they really believe that they are taking care they are the only ones who could actually take care of the animals but uh, they're often very isolated and they have other difficulties and they don't see uh, how the animals actually are uh, compared to themselves. So, so is it, there is a lot of human suffering in this as well. And this is what we also found that there is such a lot of human suffering. Uh, and still this is seen, at least in Sweden, it's, it's viewed as an animal welfare issue, but it's really not bad. It's, it, it is an animal welfare issue, but there's also a lot of suffering for the for the humans involved uh, so they have to cooperate and they have to to like you have to help the person really doing this uh, so it's like a, most things in society everything is in, entangled and, and intertwined really exactly yeah and there are different groups there are three different distinct groups of animal hoarders and one of them is is that like the savior that they they feel that they they can save the animals. They're the only ones who can really take care of the animals. And they have empathy for the animals, but they also, it's blurred. Like they, they can't really distinguish what, what is the animal's needs and what is my needs. Uh, they are very often, uh, often have other diagnoses like autism, uh, difficulties, anxiety, uh, things like that. And they haven't got help for that. So, 
So that is one, like one main group. And then you have the other group that is more sociopathic and, and not feeling for the animals and just collecting the animals because they get a gain for it. So, so it's complicated because there are different groups in it really. And today in many countries, they are just lumped together and, and treated the same. And this is a problem. Uh, yeah, I was reading Patronek uh, was talking about, um, he was actually talking about five different categories. I was trying to mm. put it up on the computer at the moment. Uh, mm. Caregivers, which seems one that yes. a lot of yeah. people easily yeah. get. Then, as you say, the rescue hoarders, which I think comes under the, ca the category you were talking about, there, mm. about the mm. savior aspect. Um, incipient hoarders, exploiter hoarders, and breeder hoarders. Um, yes. One of the one mm. of the uh, I was reading about was that, as you were saying about this, um, this inability to sit. It's like this absorption mm. of what what I'm what the hoarder is seeing um, is unable and unable to see that the animal is actually suffering. So it's not. It's almost like they they don't have. Um, they just don't have the ability to see that so they mm. can't see the suffering mm. and this yes. this is extension of, mm. of them, the animal being an extension of their own um way that they see the world yes uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Like, um which is quite interesting yes yeah there are i mean in if you if you look at the like like patron groups are, are interesting but they have been sort of narrowed down to three groups uh and that's probably a simplification but uh but if you look at the the sort of rescuing group yeah uh, they often they want to rescue animals they want to be with animals there's a lot of of uh connection with trauma like early childhood trauma um and and the sort of trauma that you 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 just you feel like you can be with animals but not with humans and and a lot of uh, emotional trauma and this is what is also uh, distinguishing the group from our animal hoarders from the ones who just collect things uh, that there is a lot of emotional trauma uh, and a lot of animal hoarders will also collect things, but but the main like uh, also the, the difference is that they also have a lot of emotional trauma, um, attachment trauma, things things like that, and also a lot of um, other uh, undiscovered like diagnoses that things that they they psychiatric diagnoses that they would have had needed to get help with um and hadn't so uh so like with the rescue group um there is a lot of of emotion there is a lot of emotions for the animals and attachment to the animals really but they all most of them have a difficulty distinguishing like what do i need and what do the animals need um and this uh, might end up with the animals being really 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 suffering so yeah um yeah and and again from what i've been reading about it it was talking um uh, and we can put the uh the references in the um in sure the yeah tapes, um, mm. following the following this podcast but um one of the author, one, one of the authors was talking about mm. um, as we said about this triggering um mm. uh, traumatic childhood event uh, events can trigger mm. Um, yes. A need for self-repair. This is how it was described. And mm. um, it's actually by having, by, as you say, not having been able to have an attachment to uh, caregivers when people were growing mm. up and mm. then being able to be attached to having some kind mm. of love from uh, um, other than human animals, actually yes. this, like, this, this um, attachment disorder, as it's described, whether mm. that's how the medics describe it anyway. And, and that's really interesting to see how people can um, be so, I mean, I know we're talking about hoarding at the moment, but how people can get a really much more fulfilling relationship or feel more self-worth through a relationship with an animal than they can mm. with um, humans within their social group, which is, mm. which is, so do, do hoarders actually tend to withdraw from society uh, quite a lot? Yes, uh, many of them do. Again, it comes to these distinct groups because there's this overwhelmed caregiver that might 
might actually have been a person who who have uh, bred animals or have been really a part of society, but then something happens and it sort of escalates into not being able to take care of the animals and they still breed or they still get more animals. So they tend to slowly be more a part of society. But then if you look at the rescue group, uh, the second group, they are often uh, apart from society in the beginning, or they can be sort of reaching out to animal rescue groups in a way, but but they they they, they tend to a lot have this feeling that they are apart from society really and they can be really socially isolated like like you wouldn't imagine <laughs> and and uh, not uh, not having any social contacts with with humans at all but just with animals so uh, i think so, so a lot of them do yeah. yeah yeah and i think especially with um cat hoarding they're also sort of shunned a bit um, by mm. society too if there's a lot mm. of cats around and the neighbors are starting mm. to complain mm. um, and I saw a really nice um, a YouTube clip from Kitten Lady sort of and I was really mm. touched by how compassionate she was towards the the hoarders and sort of suggesting mm. ways that you can mm. can help them by sort of basically get in contact with them so the the example mm. she gave was like um a lady who just wouldn't even answer the door because she mm. was used to people sort of knocking and she was afraid of animal mm. welfare coming and mm. um and I guess like what you talked about she felt she was the mm. only one who could care for these so she was very resistant to outside help because a lot mm. of the help was attacking and um mm. Mm. Um, and mm. she was suggesting sort of leaving cat food at first and just sort of approach sort of we want to help you help the cats rather than we want to mm. get rid of all your cats and mm. Uh, mm. I can share a link to to, to that but I, I think that really highlights because the immediate reaction is to to hate on hoarders and because you see the harm that they're causing but when their intention is is good it's mm. it, it's it's hard it's hard right I guess that's the <laughs> The key yeah. thing research it's it's not black and white yes definitely yeah I wrote a, a, a short piece like a fictional piece about hoarding and and published somewhere and and uh, uh, the reaction was really that you how how can you really feel for these people because they are creating suffering for the for the animals and and that is true and I can Yes, there is a lot of suffering, but uh, there is a lot of human suffering as well. This is really a, an issue where it's connected. Uh, and um, not all, but many of the hoarders actually feel for the animals, but it just they, they just don't, they're not able to care for them. Uh, I guess at, at, some, at some point they really, or they, they just, yeah, I, I, they can't cope anymore, but and then that causes some mm. because they're not mm. seeing the suffering, right? They think they're still thinking they're helping, and mm. maybe they were in the beginning taking in yes. a couple of yeah. homeless animals that they could and that mm. was in control. Mm. And yes, yeah, I guess absolutely. At what, point, yeah. at what point are you no longer? Yeah, it's not. It's probably not easy to see, and I, I couldn't imagine mm. being in that situation, no. but. No. No, it is hard, and and I mean uh, there are sanctuaries and and uh, rescues who have gone into hoarding, and there is not a clear line, but at some point it just goes into the like uh, you can't care for these animals, and you still get more of them, uh, and there is such a lot of loneliness really in in a lot of people that they feel that I have to take care of these animals, no one else does, and and that is a a big a big thing as well and that's the dichotomy isn't it people are rescuing animals from high kill shelters because they think mm. they're safe. yes yeah. the difference between the quality of life sanctity of mm. life mm. Where does mm. that, you know where i mean is it mm. better to be alive for five years in utter misery or to mm. not to, <clears throat> i'm not sure that's exactly yeah but i can see why people would want to step in where they think society's failed perhaps yes absolutely yeah there are there, there are so many layers in this and 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 uh, but still a lot of hoarders are really left to themselves and what we mainly discovered in this study is that uh animal 
protection uh, units are the ones who meet these animal hoarders and they can only do like acute, they can, they, they do euthanize a lot of animals, especially cats, because cats is the, 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 the main hoarded animals in all countries and here as well. Um, but um, they can't do anything more. And we really want uh, a cooperation like with social services, psychiatry and veterinarians and animal protection and like everybody has to get together and and this is expensive but it's just because we we didn't look at expense earlier on we just you know ignored it and and it turned out like this so so now it's expensive and mm. sorry what what's expensive the the response to i mean today to to put all these resources into animal hoarding is expensive but it's just because we we earlier on didn't do it uh, like we we like we ignore in in here as well as in other countries that people need help and uh, since since it just escalates so so we have uh, all these cases of animal hoarding to discover today uh, and it's just the top of the iceberg and it's like when it gets so acute that there's so many cats or so many rabbits that animal inspectors just have to get involved but uh if we had done something earlier it would have been less dramatic and less expensive but today it is i guess i guess that's how research really sort of comes into this so i'm thinking of the example with the the link like and people mm. um, fleeing domestic violence situations and the research mm. is pretty clear now that people don't want to leave their the animals with an abusive mm. partner and the risk is is high there and this is mm. the research has sort of now led to action where and and okay the action is driven from the the human welfare side but they're starting mm. to see that um families women children are being staying in very dangerous situations simply because yes. shelters don't provide um housing for the the companion animals and um yeah. mm. So, so the, the current response in Sweden then is to literally go in, remove animals, possibly all the animals, and leave the the hoarder without support. Is that the current kind of response? Um, yes, pretty much. Yes, when 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 cases of animal hoarding are discovered, it comes to the animal protection unit and. I mean, they are animal people, they are supposed to care for the animals, but they also, when we talk to them, I mean, they, they do suffer because they, they, they see the human suffering and, but they can't do anything about it. So, so in most cases, you just remove the animals and there is a ban of getting more animals and everybody knows that this person is not going to follow these guidelines. Um, they there is like a hundred percent rate that they will get more animals unless they kill themselves, which is also high risk. Uh, but if they survive, if they if they they keep on living, they will get more animals. And and animal protection units they know this and they have them on the list and they will go there in a year and they will find there are more animals and they will get animals again. But they don't have any tools to to help the person because the person won't stop hoarding animals. The anxiety is just too family. great. Yeah, and it's but and yes. that's removing your entire family. Imagine the grief yes. that you go through. Yes, even yeah. knowing what's happening to those animal individuals. Yes, yes. That caused accidental harm to, but mm. you know that that cat. Mm. Absolutely, and and I mean I can imagine. For, for it's easy to say okay these animals were suffering you had to euthanize them you had to take them it's easy for us to say but if I imagine that this person actually doesn't understand that the animals are suffering that great and if I just for a moment like imagine that someone would come here and take all my animals and just tell me that they are suffering I'm gonna kill them all of them today goodbye it's a trauma that I couldn't even imagine so for yeah. for some of these people, this is really what is happening. They they really don't see, even if the animals are suffering, and it could be like cats having their eyes all eaten up by bacteria. It could be, you know, a huge yeah. lot of suffering. But 
they don't see it. They don't see it as suffering. They see it as they are okay. And their experience is that someone is just taking these animals and killing them. So this yeah. is when we have to bring in like other treatment because we know also that this person is suffering, but it's also that this person will either kill him or herself or continue to collect animals. And you will have more animals in a year and you would just have to take the animals and they have been suffering. So it's just a cycle that is endless and pointless. So, so what's your solution then? You want to take social, an element of social services at the same yes. time? Yeah. Yeah. With the hoarder? Mm -hmm. Do you leave some animals with the hoarder or? Uh, only in rare cases, like when it hasn't gone too far, you can actually leave with like with the, uh, with the so-called overwhelmed caretaker that is not a, a a savior not there are three groups but the first group the overwhelmed caretaker can actually sometimes keep some animals if someone is checking in and helping them uh, that the animals they have to be castrated they have to you know be caretake and um but in in those cases yes otherwise you actually can't leave any animals but you have to give a lot of treatment to the animal hoarder so that they can think maybe that in the in you know after this you can have animals but they, they there is an anxiety that you it's it's even hard to 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 describe you have to have medication you have to have treatment you have to have a lot of help with anxiety of not getting more animals and just treatment and there is there are also all these other diagnoses like I said in the in the group of of the so-called helpers uh most of them have other diagnoses that have gone undetected like they have autism adhd or um uh, an huge anxiety depression or or affective emotion like like a lot of things that they need help with first also so so there is a, a lot of things that you have to bring in for the human it seems like the overwhelmed care um caregiver is where the the real intervention can can probably be most effective but then I can also see that perhaps they're reluctant to ask for help because they don't want to be perceived as a hoarder mm. because they're afraid mm. if they are then they'll be shunned and mm. the animals mm. will be taken away whereas a mm. sort of a bit of help with the the animal caretaking mm. combined with psychiatric help yes. would would mm. would benefit but yeah i, I can mm. see so you mentioned one of the participants or did they didn't want to respond because they were a, a shelter that was afraid mm. of being mm. um yeah I, I perceived as as a, as a hoarding situation mm. and and, mm. and it's those sort of mm. borderline situation or potentially or struggling shelters right where the, mm. the help could be um yeah it's there, there is some research from the UK on overwhelmed caretakers. They didn't call it that, but when when you read the, the, the research, you realize that this is what they were looking at. And it's really successful in just getting help from veterinarians in like limiting the amount of animals, uh, replacing some animals, uh, getting some animals sterilized and, and help like that and it was really successful so uh so they are the group that you can help quite easily uh the rescuing group is much more difficult because they have a lot of other diagnoses and and this has not been researched properly but my suspicion is that a huge lot of them actually have undiscovered autism mm -hmm. uh, and and this is a problem everywhere it's a problem here and in other countries that you just you haven't had help the help that you get for that so uh so they are very isolated and um and and this is really the main issue there so um so that's a more tricky group but but when it comes to the overwhelmed rescues you can you can actually help them quite not easily but but quite easily yeah yeah you can um and from the states there is more research on on all kind of groups but it shows clearly that you have to get all these uh like like everyone has to be involved like the social services the psychiatry uh, the animal protection units the veterinarians everyone has to be involved but then 
you can actually help animal water. Uh, so, so this is something that we try to educate here in Sweden because we think that, I mean, yes, it is. it sounds expensive, but what is the expense of just leaving them be? We know that they will just keep on collecting animals. The expense in suffering is huge, but also in money because we have to go, uh, animal decks have to go out, they have to euthanize, they have to get as a, it's, 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 it is expensive um, if, you, if you just talk about money, which I don't like, but, but if you do that, yes. Um, so, so just, you know, try to, to cooperate um, in all kinds of ways would be, uh, it would be, it would less suffering, but also the money in the long run, I think. So did you, did, did, in your lit review, did you um, see hoarding across all continents or is it a particular part of the world that hoarding is? Yeah, it's, it actually seems to be, it seems to be a global issue. There hasn't been research everywhere. It's a lot of from the States and Europe, obviously, but it's also from South America. There is from Japan and other Asian places. So um, it seems to be global which is something that we found a bit amazing that, you know, it's it's in different contexts and in cultures, it seems to be this global phenomenon, like like you have these groups everywhere. It seems to be like a human, uh, just, just the way humans work everywhere. And there is not research from all countries or all continents, but there is enough so that I can say that it seems to be a global issue uh, and no, matter the like cultural uh, context it, it seems to be the same or or like at least uh, and what about in terms of what type of animals are there specific species that are more prone to be hoarded in all all research that has done has, has showed that that cats are the most the, the, really the most collected animal in every study and also in ours in sweden it's cats uh, so yeah, cats, and then after that, like small animals, uh, rodents and dogs, but cats is really the main collected animal <laughs> everywhere, it seems. Um, so yeah. Is with the highest number of um, street living cats, or is that even in countries where um, cats are, um, are well maintained by mm. society. Mm. I mean, all research on animal hoarding shows the same that animal that the cats is the main hoarded animal. So, but there is not research from everywhere. But uh, still, cats is the most. It's it's everywhere in all studies. It's cats. Mm. Uh, so, um, I mean, you can have lots of. There are lots of things probably reasons for this but uh, I mean in Sweden we have we have no street dogs we have no homeless dogs living on the streets but we have like 150,000 homeless cats and that says something in a small country so um, so 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 yeah cats cats really I think they are easy to get and easy to breed and but there are probably 100 other reasons but it goes it's just everywhere cats cats is the main animal so. and I guess cats are relatively easy to look after compared to um different species well did you say mm. that there were like some hoarders that hoarded wild, wild yes wild. yeah we have here as everywhere uh, there are hoarders who who actually collect wild animals and it could be birds especially I think uh in in some countries it probably is not birds they could be we have a like exotic reptiles here, but they are imported, so that's different. And they probably they they often fall into the third category of of like the exploiters. But um, but here we have like a very famous um case of a a woman collecting swans, and she collected I think seventy swans or something to an apartment in Stockholm. Um. Swans, yeah. She she just got to the lake and she just got them because she felt that they were just not okay. 
outside. So she wanted to bring them to her apartment. And, and the most amazing thing is how could this tiny little woman, she was an old tiny woman, and she actually brought all these huge birds to her apartment and nobody saw it. Um, but finally was discovered that she had a huge lot of, of swords in her, her apartment. So so that is one really famous case in Sweden of wild animals, yeah. And and they were, yeah, she just kept them there because they were better off in her apartment, she thought. Interesting. So yes, and there's a typical thing for animal hoarder that some of them go out to collect outdoor cats who are actually well, uh, just fine, you know, well-living cats, and they just collect them and bring them back to their home and keep them inside because they are better off there. So So this is the sort of, of of emotion driving it for, for some orders that they're better off with me here uh, no matter what really interesting so mm. what swans do you, were they rehabilitated I think she, those she had were actually too unwell I'm, I'm not sure about the details but I think they were euthanized because I think they were really they had been there for a while and they hadn't you know so so I think they were euthanized uh unfortunately but yeah so is there a percentage of animals that are uh that do survive these um incidents or or most yeah so unwell there actually dogs here if I talk about Sweden dogs almost always survive uh, because they are um, prioritized, really, in dog shelters. Uh, cats are often euthanized. And this is, uh, it's it's about the status, but it is also because people, when, when there is a huge, like, these are dogs, like, when, when we have cases of, like, 80 sled dogs or 140 small dogs here, and uh, it comes to media and people, really really want these dogs uh, and some of them really say that we want a dog who has suffered the most like they there is a huge longing for these dogs uh when you talk about cats there is nothing similar uh, you wouldn't say like we have 140 really try cats here and and people would stand in line so nobody wants these cats so cats are often euthanized but dogs are saved um most of them actually it yeah that's what it looks like so that's really interesting but, but you think mm. that might be correlated to sweden having an overpopulation of un, of homeless cats but not homeless dogs so mm. Mm. i think so yeah i think I, I think there are many things but but um uh yes i think that's part of it yeah and and that the the idea of getting a dog that has been suffering is for, for a lot of people appealing obviously because people stand in line for them so so it's more a problem for the dog shelter to to sort of sort off people <laughs> who would get a dog but the cat shelters don't have this problem because nobody stands in line so hmm. it's interesting when you you talk about yeah the cats uh, being the most hoarded animal and in my mm. own research there's a couple of like kind of disturbing comments about people like saying they 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 got their their cats an indoor cat it belonged to the neighbors and and mm. they rescued the cat and and mm. basically a lot of these comments they they were talking about a cat that they rescued and mm. you're like are you sure that wasn't like a neighborhood cat that roams mm. and mm. you just mm. took that cat in um mm. And yeah, mm -hmm. I I guess it's sort of maybe the beginning of that hoarding mentality that mm. cats shouldn't be out wandering the streets. Mm. So you're, mm. you're helping mm. them. if you can't care for them, it's it's hoarding, right? It's mm. yes, it's interesting. yeah, and I, yeah, and I think the beginning of hoarding is also where we have to. There are like two parts. There's one part where we have to actually look at, okay, the. the we have to look at trauma earlier we have to help people earlier but there is also the part where people are in the beginning of hoarding situations where we have to see what this is and help them before it escalates so um yeah that that kind of mentality that they they they're always better with me they're always better here it's yeah sort of a sign 
Hmm. It's interesting as well because I, mean, I don't know if there's any consideration of protection of the actual animals because in the first instance I wanted to ask you about um, on the survivor dogs I was wondering if there's any follow-up research to see how they hmm. actually coped with that situation but before we go to that hmm. I was thinking, for example in Portugal um, every animal uh, every companion animal um, dog hmm. cat should be microchips and if you hmm. find on the street you have to go to the to the vet you have to have the microchip checked if it's microchip mm. so many days that the the you can contact the owner or the vet contacts the owner actually mm. uh, and so it kind of prevents as you say chris this removing the animal from from the street and, and taking it in is mm. i'm wondering as well if there's any kind of protection in those terms for the animals to to not be kidnapped if you mm. like yeah well here recently just first of third of january this year finally the law on uh, on cats <laughs> was going through that they have to be microchipped and registered so it's really really recent but but yeah we have it now um yes is that colony cats as well uh it's no it's own cats uh, and we have a problem with colony cats and that there is a there are some trap nets to return, um, like projects in Sweden, but they're also quite looked down upon. So this is something I I I am a bit uh, curious to 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 research actually because uh, they are they are looked down upon and and uh, because. Mm, because it's not really fulfilling the animal welfare laws that we have and. This is where we kind of go into you know, biopolitics that that an animal is better dead than not fulfilling the, the animal welfare laws that we have here. Um, so, so these are very um, vulnerable. These colon colony cats, then, because they can be taken; they're invisibilized by society, and yes, they're not owned, right? They are they are sort of feral, not owned. Is this okay? The the, the it's it's not really clear. Uh, if you look at the law, what, what, what is an unknown animal? What is it? And, you know, what kind of law is protecting this animal? But uh, a lot of saying is that if you trap, neuter, neuter and release a, a cat, it, it it's just not protected by the law nice. enough. Yeah. So, and because it's not owned and who owns it, and then to put it very simply, it's better off dead. So... So this is a, <laughs> a sort of biopolitical issue. Here. Yeah, I was yeah. just, um, and, and it's sort of, I, I guess it's kind of also related to the the struggling um, and maybe even the horde mentality. And I, I was trying to look at the paper. I can't remember the author, but there's research done in um, Tel Aviv. It was a couple of years old, the research, but um, they looked at, and maybe you're familiar with this paper, but they, they looked at... Um, uh, colony caregivers or people that were feeding the cats and they were spending mm. a lot of their own resources and time and energy mm. into to feeding the cats mm. but the welfare of the cats was decreasing because they were receiving food but there was no um, provision trap neuter release was um, I don't know if there wasn't enough affordable veterinary facilities okay. to do this and it was mm. basically the feeding was increasing the or decreasing the welfare of the cats, but mm. the, the caregivers were invested in helping these cats, but all they could do was provide food. And mm. um, yeah, and it kind of contrasts to the situation in, I think mm. it's Rome, the colony management mm. there is pretty, works pretty well. Mm. Sorry, I'm going off topic here now, but I thought about that mm. kind of connection between. Mm. I mean, that very much links to my research in for Saudi cats, because um, People are, I mean, there's such a lack of resources um, in yeah. Saudi and especially afford affordable resources. Mm. There's so many barriers to um, mm. animals, to TNBRM, as we call it, with the vaccination and the management at the end mm. in TNBR, is, um, <clears throat> is that people, but they, they, they often, there's a lot of expats in uh, Saudi, and I call them expats, mm. they have got an mm. intention to return to their original country. Um, there's a lot of expats who go, they see the state of the cats and they want to assist. But a lot of people don't have the, the financial um, income to be able mm. to 
um, put in put in place a, a TM or the uh, a trap and to release um, program. So they feed, like you say, they feed, which then in, uh, makes them healthy enough to have a litter of kittens, which then it, it spirals out of control. And mm. but until there's actually enough resources to do TNVRM on a on a, a large basis or to offer these feeders assistance. Um, there is this disconnect between um, trying to actually, you, what do you do, either ignore them and see this and, and become oblivious to their suffering, or, or do you try and assist, but you can only assist in a certain way and you're actually making the, the situation worse. So mm. it's, it's, I mean, it's not hoarding, but it's, um, it's still got this element of trying to assist without, yes. yeah. as you say, seeing the ex, extra suffering. Mm. Perhaps. Mm. Not knowing how to get out of it. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, survivor dogs. Is there any follow-up research on these survivor dogs then that you know of? Yes, there is, and I can share it. It's not from here. Um, and the the interesting thing is really that there is follow-up research on dogs, even though cats are the most prevalent like species everywhere. There's no follow-up research on on cats, but. Uh, but we have found a few on dogs and I can share it. And it says, um, just to put it very simply, that they have some attachment issues. Uh, some studies show hyperattachment, some show difficulties in attachment. They have less aggression, but they also have less like learning abilities. They, um, it's, just, it's probably because the brain, I mean, the, the brain is plastic. And if you don't have a lot of impact when you're young, you 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 might end up being uh, it's it's more difficult to learn things uh, when you're older. But um, yeah, and some some studies show that they have nightmares, things connected to like PTSD. But but yes, I'm happy to share. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. Found. Yes, absolutely. Um, and are you intending to do any uh, research on survivor cats or dogs from hoarding situations? Uh, not right now, but I am interested in looking at the whole aspect of like feral, what we call feral cats, and why we look at them that way, and 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 what to do. And and I think uh, actually, hoarded cats comes into that. There is a Swedish researcher called Tora Homberg who uh, who calls them homeless cats with the home, and and that's really quite. It, 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 it's, it's quite true that they, they live with their home, but they're considered homeless like, because they are not, um, they are not socialized in a so-called proper way. So, and I, uh, so I think, yeah. And as you probably mm. read our, um, our paper, the word feral is very loaded and comes with a lot of... Uh, yes, yeah, so yes, exactly. That we, that we, we struggle with and... Um, mm. Mm. You know, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah yeah so so that's one but then i'm i'm currently we are just trying to educate as much as we can about this issue that uh, more people has to be involved in this and you have to see the whole picture you have to see the human and animals no matter if you care about the animals or the human it doesn't matter because you have to look at both if you want to get somewhere it's it's really that simple <laughs> you, you have to take care of both. And is there some willingness for this to happen in, in Sweden, this connection of, of services? I uh, Slowly, yes. We are invited to some counties, and so we like taking one part at a time of Sweden. So it's, it's slow, but uh, something at least is happening. And I hope it'll be faster. So, yeah. It almost mm. seems like there should be some education with the social workers regarding the companion mm. animal bond sort of mm. maybe sort of like a module in the training and then mm. for these cases mm. that you really need a social worker who understands mm. a human animal bond right because some people just don't get it and they're like well mm. just get rid of the animals and you'll be fine um mm. and yeah absolutely and, yeah and also, and also the economist yeah. because obviously people who are making out these budgets probably don't connect the cost of animal hoarding over here no no social services here mm, yes we do they know well if we do put the connection as you say mm, uh, mm, we're actually reducing mm, the 
Mm. Mm. Numbers and all of that. Mm. Yeah, that's always the problem. You look at cost now and you look at later on, but this is an issue of 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 that it it decreases the cost later on. But but and that's always the difficulty, and it's sad, but but that's the way it looks. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I I guess it's sort of a a, a good closing question or final question yeah. but, um, sort of talking about this and, and reading about your research I'm I'm wondering how you personally or your colleagues deal with mm. compassion fatigue um, mm. especially mm. Ha- hands-on and sort of seeing people suffering mm. seeing the mm. animals suffering mm. it's mm. it's got to be tough right how do you balance yes. that up yourself yes. Yeah, that's a really good question. It's it's always there. I think for me, I have chose to like I I do research, I do educate, but I don't work hands on with people. I admire those who do that. <laughs> I really do. I meet a lot of people who who work in cat shelters, dog shelters, animal protection. I mean, they meet they meet people and animals right on and. This is, uh, I, I think for me personally, I've just realized that this is something I cannot do because it's, it, it just wouldn't work for me. What I can do is to put things together and educate about it and write about it and, and help those who do this work. But, but hands-on work is, is, it's really, it's not something I can do. Yeah, unfortunately, hmm. I think I'm the same too. I, I... Yeah, well, yeah. But I, I think I, we all need it. I don't think it's really unfortunate. I think we are all needed as part of the picture. But but you know, we just have different different parts to fill. That's what I try to tell myself, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's super interesting reading about your research and uh I'd love yeah. to, to hear more about um what happens. And uh I think research on the survivor animals would be absolutely fascinating. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And um, and how people respond, as you say, differently to different species, and whether that happens across different uh, parts of the globe. You know, as you mm. said, cats mm. in Sweden are, mm. are empathised with. Yeah, yeah. As dogs, fascinating. Okay, thanks, um, Teresa. Um, yeah, it's been great chatting, and mm. uh, we'll, we'll share share some of those resources and uh, references in, in the link below. <laughs> I'm really glad it's closing. And we hope to see you next time. Yeah, so, so yeah. We're, we hope to see you next time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Bye.